When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to DNI Spy. I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. As you know by now, here at DNI Spy, we like to uncover what's really going on in the world of equality, diversity, and inclusion. And in today's episode, we're exploring time. And our guest today says the way we think about time is broken. So who is our guest? So today we are welcoming Helen Beedham. Helen writes, speaks and advises on how to create more inclusive, productive workplaces where everyone can flourish. Helen's book is called The Future of Time and Helen is also a host of the Business of Being Brilliant podcast where she explores the human side of work. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I've loved listening and it's a real treat to be in the guest seat actually for a change. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you here and great to have you in person which is always lovely when people come in to see us. Uh, We're going to get straight into it if that's okay. So um, how does the way we think about and spend our time at work disadvantage different groups of employees and how does it damage inclusion? Yeah, sure. So I'll probably answer that in two parts. The first part is about our time culture and then the second part about how that damages inclusion. So when when we think about the way we work, probably most people listening are familiar with the concept of organisational culture, which is the attitudes, behaviours, values, kind of everyday habits uh, around the way we work and what's accepted as, as the way we do things around here. Now, part of that is also about the way we spend our time at work. And for the book, I dug quite deep into the research and people's experiences of work around this. And there are certain norms that um, exist in our world of work today that I call our time norms. Um, so those are things like uh, it's, it's all urgent Um, everything comes with an urgency tag Mm. it's got to be dealt with now or you know within an hour or so we have very short-term deadlines another one for example is the cult of busyness you know actually we attach a lot of importance and status Mm. um, to being seen to be busy Uh, and it's not good it's not kind of recognized as good to be sitting at your desk staring out the window you know taking a mental break or even admitting that you're not having a busy day people Mm. kind of think well what's wrong why aren't you being productive? So we equate you know, productivity with being busy all the time. Whereas in fact, we do need a lot of downtime mentally, healthy for breaks, for healthy thinking and habits, but also to you know, help our minds process incoming information. We also have a very meetings heavy culture. We have a lot of meetings all of the time. And this obviously became very 
uh, much on people's minds during the pandemic with people trapped on Zoom and Teams calls all day long. But, uh, you know, a lot of the time it's not clear what the purpose of the meeting is, why everybody who's been invited needs their, needs to be on it. You know, not everybody has a clear role and there's not always a clear output. And we often have a lot of meetings that are just in the diary because they've always been in the diary. And we're, we're not really good at stopping and thinking about, well, how are we spending this time? Mm. So I describe a number of other norms in the book, but I also talk about our time blindness, which is the fact that we're so busy getting on with the day job and having all the conversations and meet, trying to get through our very heavy workloads that we don't really stop and pay attention to how we're spending our time. We just hurtle on to the next thing. And I've heard leaders talk about this when I've interviewed them and spoken to them at, on talks. And I've heard in, a lot of individuals talking about this. And there's a lot of evidence that backs that up. Um, another issue around our time culture is the very long working hours that are very prevalent uh, in our society and in, in the Western world. Um, and yet we actually have very low levels of productivity as a nation and it's been stuck relatively low for a long time. So we know that working long hours doesn't get the best out of people. So I've given you a quick flavour of our time culture and, and, and what's wrong about it. And I would just add that we tend to think about things in a very short-term way. We don't tend to think about the longer term, either from a kind of planning perspective or kind of what we want to achieve perspective, but also over people's careers as well. We tend to really focus on, you know, the current day, the week, the month, maybe a year ahead. We don't think about the individual's perhaps longer term career aspirations either inside or outside the organisation. Um, we take a much more short term approach to that. And in the book, I talk about why this time culture is problematic, both for individuals, but also for businesses. And I remember talking to someone when I was researching it, I was interviewing them and they said, you know, I get why it's wrong, bad for productivity. I get why it's bad for well-being, but why is it bad for diversity and inclusion? I don't get that. And I, and I admit, when I started writing it, I had a hunch that this was going to be an issue from an inclusion perspective. But I had to kind of dig into it to find out why. And I spoke to a lot of people who would consider themselves minorities in some way in the workplace, but, but also people in majority um, demographic groups as well. And it, it damages inclusion because what it does, this time culture, is it sets up one model for working, really. It says to fit in, to get in, to fit in, to get on, we have to work like this. Um, and predominantly that tends to mirror, you know, the way that perhaps senior leadership teams work and, and how they're comprised. And anyone that doesn't quite fit that mould or can't commit to the same time culture, to the same working, to, to being, um, you know, endlessly available 24-7 or being able to work late hours, etc., they become disadvantaged by that system. It becomes much harder to progress. Um, also, there's things like people's experiences of, of the intensity of work that's been very scientifically measured. And there was a study that found that it, it's not just us feeling more uh, under pressure. It actually is a recognised thing. And work intensity has been increasing over the last 20 years steadily um, by about 20%, I think. And actually, women experience far greater work intensity than men. Like, there's a 15% gender intensity gap. So there's, this stuff's been kind of researched and evidenced. Um, other ways that it affects inclusion is that, um, for example, people in the minority say that they have to do much more with their time 
fit more in, achieve more, to be get ac- able to access the same opportunities as majority colleagues. And, and that's again borne out by stats. There's um, some research that found that black employees on typically wait uh, longer for the same promotion opportunities afforded to majority colleagues or white colleagues, 31% are having to wait three years or more for a promotion versus 23% for white colleagues, for example. But it affects all sorts of people in, in different ways. So it'll affect managers as well, quite differently. Managers um, uh, consistently work l- more hours than they're contracted, very intense working hours, a lot of time pressure all the time. And they play such a critical role in an organisation and they're so fundamental to the relationship with the individual and an individual's experience at work and, and being included in work and valued for what they can bring is that you know if you've got managers who are just so time pressured so time poor and stressed that they don't have the bandwidth Mm. to you know genuinely make their team environment welcoming and a supportive place for everybody that's in the team so I've given you a few uh, examples Mm. there so yeah you talked about what what seems like those structural um I, I suppose processes procedures um and of organizations that can affect maybe gender uh, different races what about different countries did your research look at um countries other than the uk i mainly focused on the uk for the book but i have obviously got some awareness of what how that compares internationally and also when i speak to leadership teams and and, and at webinars i hear other perspectives as mm. well and so interestingly i was on a uh, giving a talk recently to a, a leadership team and they were saying that uh, it does vary a lot by country so they were saying in the nordics for example they don't have this kind of time culture to the same extent in that it's perfectly accepted to come in at nine o'clock, you know, to leave at three to go and collect your kids or to go off and, and play football. Um, and nobody frowns on it and nobody feels they have to hide it. Mm. And then others were saying in France and Belgium, for example, and in some of the southern Mediterranean countries, you cannot leave before your boss. I mean, it's just not the done thing. And, and so you literally have people sitting there waiting, passing the time, feeling that they can't just get on, get on home or go and do other stuff. Now they've finished their task because they're waiting for their boss to leave. It's wow. quite revelatory. <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of uh, one of the companies that I used to to work with, and we introduced something called One Thing, and it was um, at the start of the year you would talk with your manager and just say if there's one thing that that I can talk to you about that I want for the rest of the year, then I don't need to talk to about talk to you about it again. Um, and and as part of the sort of the, the contract, I suppose between between the two, that um, they would agree. And thing, people were saying things like, "I just want to go to my um, my parent, my child, sorry, my child's sports day." or um, Christmas performance or something like that. And then, so they'd agree at the start and that absolutely plays into that time piece that you don't want to keep asking for time off. You don't, because Mm. it's seen as something that's, um, puts you at a disadvantage. Um, But if you make that contract at the start of the year, then everybody's in agreement that you're allowed that time. And, And that hopefully starts to break down those structures. Yes, I think absolutely. And I think what your example shows is that A, it's good to give people a bit more autonomy and freedom because that really helps them shape their working hours and what they do in those working hours, how they spend that time, much more to suit their own needs and preferences. 
Um, but also autonomy needn't mean some great upheaval of the mm. working arrangement. It can mean quite, you know, seemingly small, but actually mm. very important things to people like just coming in a bit later or, you know, having a mo one morning during your working week or one afternoon where it is meetings free. So you can concentrate and get yeah. on with the day job so that you're not always having to start it in the evenings and weekends, which is what I hear a lot from people is that they're, they're so busy responding to incoming stuff or... Um, have so many demands on their time when they're in the working hours, when everyone else is locked on, that they don't really start their own to-do list until the end of the day, which doesn't set people up for no. productive working. And I wonder um, whether what part, what role guilt plays in all of this, because what I see and hear at work is this piece around, well, like you say, putting time in your diary to kind of do your admin tasks and have that kind of meeting-free moment. Um, there's just so much guilt, like people kind of going about what she said you know if they're not busy they're not being productive but actually we all need a little bit of time to kind of think and actually planning ahead and building that thing those things into your diary might feel I don't know luxurious but actually um they're really needed but I do wonder about that relationship and that feeling of guilt that people have and I think that goes back to what you said Julie about that one thing actually there's so much association of guilt like I'm like you're I don't know, like shirking your responsibility mm. by just having a little bit of balance. Um, and I think that's definitely interwoven. Yeah, I think so. I think I hear that a lot from people I speak to when I do one-to-one -one coaching. And I think that guilt is a big thing for people. And I think often because we hold something in our heads about maybe our identity and you know, what it means to be good at my job or mm. what it means to be a good parent or, you know, um, a good friend to someone. And, and we feel we have to do that perfectly. And and I think that does put pressure on ourselves. So quite often from an individual perspective, I think it's good to ask ourselves, you know, wh what are the myths perhaps I'm telling myself mm. that I, I have to you know, be good at X or I have to achieve Y? Is that is that holding me back in some way? Is there a better way I can just give myself permission to get on, do my best and not attach mm. too many shoulds in my head? But I think the other point is it is really genuinely really hard to, you know, to switch off to down tools. Uh, to not look at your emails because work is so 24 7 you know that's why I love Christmas because you know everyone else is switched off or you know any other national festival or national day off bank holidays and things because you know that it's not just you that's taken the time off mm. so I think yes we do need to a certain extent to take up individual responsibility for our own habits and choices and, and, and kind of sticking to our own boundaries and communicating those. Mm. But I think the piece that's missing that we don't work on enough in teams and in organisations and really what the book's about is the more collective time management bit, which is actually having conversations about this, mm. you know, brokering openly ways of working that are going to work better for the individuals and the team and the business. We tend at the moment to just kind of leave time management mm. on, on the employee's shoulders and, and let them kind of try and push back against the time. Yeah. And I think that balance needs to shift to a more collective way of thinking about and prioritising what we spend our time on. So is that the time intelligence that you talk about? Yeah, it is. So exactly. Time intelligence, if I were to define it, is, you know, having a good awareness um, individually and collectively around how we're spending our time, what we're choosing to spend it on, what we're choosing not to spend it on as well, yeah. what we're not investing time in, being quite conscious about that. Um, and actually growing our skills individually and as teams or leadership teams um, around, you know, 
making these good judgment calls, you know, constantly reviewing what are we paying attention to, what are we not, what are we valuing here, you know, are we valuing downtime? How explicitly are we sending those signals to people? Mm. Are we kind of all creeping out the office quietly to go to the gym and hiding the gym kit in the bag? Or are we kind of trumpeting it and being proud as we walk out the door? You know, and also things like time for the the human side, what I call the human side of work, not just task stuff, because, you know, we can forget and think this is all about workloads and productivity. But actually, time intelligence is also about building healthy and vibrant you know, supportive communities where mm. people really feel they belong. And if, if you're in a kind of work culture that is all about the task and it's all about achieving as much as you can within a day, then that's not going to help people feel connected. We know loneliness is a big issue at work for people at all levels um, and, you know, and retention too. So, you know, that's a big problem in many industries. So part of what's important around our time culture and and, and fixing this time blindness is is genuinely recognizing the need for you know rituals and celebratory moments and you know just fun time as a team that's maybe not just about the task mm. uh, and I think some of that gets lost and it's quite difficult I think we're having to revisit how we're doing that in the hybrid world as well and it absolutely br- br- uh, sort of plays into the inclusive culture that we're all trying to achieve at during you know the work day and 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 you mentioned um a, a nice phrase which isn't particularly nice but it is a, it's a really puts it really well that broken time is damaging our well-being yeah it is massively i mean the stats are, are just worrying you know stress and mental health have been rocketing they cost it's costing employers 45 billion pounds a year in kind of lost sickness absence lost productivity etc staff turnover new training you know it's cost our NHS and health services are, are groaning at the knees with this. I think stress and mental ill health costs them over £22 billion a year in terms mm. of services and stuff. You know, burnout's been recognised by the World Health o- uh, Organisation as an occupational phenomenon, and, and that's really increasing as well in, in younger people as well, quite worryingly, like mini- millennials. So, you know, it's easy to perhaps think that you know, it damages well-being just for, I don't know, people at a certain point in their lives, like, you know, time press parents or something, you know, mid-career with um, perhaps older uh, parents or people that they're looking after as well. But it really affects everybody at different levels. It very much affects their experience of work. So you have got people coming fresh from university or into their first job. You know, they didn't experience what life in the office pre-pandemic was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming in and, you know... It's harder. They're dealing with big workloads and perhaps less time, you know, on the job learning with colleagues and things that was absolutely fundamental to me in the early few years of my career about learning stuff. So so you talk about the losers there, um, but there are winners in the time culture as well. So, I mean, who would you say um, that are that are those winners and what does it take to be a winner? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I've been asked that one before. I like that. Uh, so I, th- I think in general, I would say if you if you look and sound fairly familiar, uh, fairly similar to people that have got into the most senior leadership roles in an organisation, so predominantly male, predominantly white, um, 
then you are more likely to see, succeed in this time culture. And I think that's primarily because leadership has been proven to have such a big effect or, or impact on the culture of an organisation, the way things get done, what things get valued. Um, I think if you're able to basically make a lot of sacrifices around your home time and your well-being and you're prepared to do that, you know, we, we're all... We're all capable of working hard at full mm. stretch, certainly for short bursts of time. But it's that longer sustained. Actually, it always feels like a sprint. And I always need to be responding to something outside of my work time, you know, out of my work core working hours. That's th people that can't do that because they have other commitments or because they have health conditions or simply just want to put some parameters around their working time and stick to them. You know, They will find it they get disadvantaged. Um, so I think that those are the winners, the people that can commit full on to this you know, very intense way of working to long hours, who can be available at the drop of a hat. Um, I think they're more likely to succeed. Mm. So going back to what you said, then you talked about, um, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be up to um, the employees and that kind of like pushing back um, in the book. There's um, a checklist for managers. Um, be keen to understand, you know, if you could maybe give uh, our community of DNI spies who are listening a bit of background around what that is and yeah. how it might be used. Yes, of course. So there are a number of tools um, around diagnosing your your time culture and helping you figure out a strategy for creating a really healthy, productive, inclusive time culture. And then there's also a number of checklists and, and tools for managers as well to use with their team. So you've mentioned one of them, the manager checklist. There's also a checklist for individuals and um, a charter uh, checklist for helping develop a team charter. And those three are available on the website, my website as well, as free downloads if anybody wants them. Um, so the manager checklist is a set of around uh, 20 or so questions just on one page where I invite managers to just take five minutes and think about how they are spending their own time and what they may be deliberately spending their time on but also what they may not have realised they're spending their time yeah. on because often we fall into quite unconscious habits and routines and, we, and it's really helpful to just stop and think Okay, are they serving me well? But also, what's the impact they're having on other people? So there's questions around productivity, around well-being, and around diversity. So you know, are for example, how how much time am I spending with different members of my team? Am I unconsciously favouring more time with those I see more often, or who are a bit more my, like me in terms of background or, or profile? Um, what am I rewarding? Uh, as a manager or a leader you know what behaviors or you know or people you know am I am I somehow being a bit exclusive in the way I'm I'm rewarding the way people spend their time you know so for example am I rewarding people you know publicly in the just saying well done thanks for getting back to me instantly you know if you say things like that a lot that's going to set up an expectation mm. that that's the right thing to do here or am I for example saying thanks for taking the time to think that over it really mattered to me that you gave that some serious consideration they send very different messages mm. so a lot of it's about our kind of language and the small things that we say or do that might have a very significant impact on the messages our teams are picking up mm. one of the um one of the um 
pick list items um, that I really liked um, that really stood out and kind of spoke to me was how much of my time do I spend taking a lead versus listening? And I think we, you know, we've had lots of discussions um, with me myself and Dr. Julie and various other um, guests, but actually the power of really listening to people um, and actually leaders can really take a lot from that and it can really enhance. I think, you know, when you're saying it here, it can enhance productivity in your time around that. And that really, it really spoke to me. Yeah, I think it's so true. It's so powerful. And yet, you know, often as leaders or people leading pieces of work or teams, we often feel we have to be the one with the answer Mm. or, you know, to give the direction or advice. But people have amazing, you know, mental resources and and ideas and creativity. And probably one of the single biggest things we can do to get the best out of our teams is to give people time to think by, by asking good questions open questions and then just waiting for the answer that's the other bit we're not very good at it's the waiting <laughs> need it now we also uh, don't like silence either no. people get very uncomfortable with the yeah. silence don't they it's so true someone will always leap to fill it but yeah. you know and i was struck someone mentioned a leader mentioned on a call i was doing recently that they had a they had a whatsapp group for their pro- big project they were working on and all the members of the team were on it and somebody would kind of put a question in the WhatsApp group and say, oh, we've run into this issue. You know, what do we need to do to fix it? And the leader said, I used to dive right in with an answer, trying to be helpful. Um, But actually, I decided one day to do it differently and I was going to leave it 48 hours before I answered. And what they discovered was actually everybody had a good discussion around it and they they came up with a perfectly good solution and the leader didn't need any input at all Mm. so that's you can listen remotely as well you don't Mm. have to just listen when you're face to face I guess that makes me think because in your checklist as well you talk about on a couple of points around assumptions and that really links into what you were just saying in terms of you know managers can also make their own assumptions and come to those decisions and it's important that we need to recognise that because, of course, bias can be hidden in our assumptions. And so when you were sort of compiling your checklist, was there any thoughts around, you know, the, the unconscious bias or the, the assumptions that, um, that you were really considering as part of this checklist? Yes, definitely. And because I, it is so important, to, I think, to be aware of our own biases. And so I was researching around tests that you can do to understand your implicit biases. And I'm, I'm glad it's come through in the checklist because I'm fascinated by habits and by the shortcuts our brains take, particularly when they're dealing with a lot of information and un, under stress. So they deal with it by having biases and heuristics and leaping to fast conclusions to save our brain basically processing everything all over again. Mm. But the problem with that, as we know, is that it can lead us unhelpfully to make the wrong conclusions or to attach too much information, too much weight to information that is easily retrieved or very familiar to us. So that means we're much more likely to go with our instinct or to go with what we've done before instead of taking the time to unpack what am I what would my normal reaction be here you know where is this person coming from Mm. what haven't I asked that might actually you know help me understand the situation or help us get to a better answer on this so there's a lot of awareness around our own brain habits and functioning actually and as as well as our you know our, our unconscious biases that can lead us down an unhelpful route when it comes to more inclusive behaviours. Well, Helen, that leads us really nicely um, onto the final part of our episode. Um, So we say that inclusion is an action 
Um, and so we'd like to ask you, um, as the author of a fascinating book all about the future of time, what's your top tip or inclusive action that you'd like to share? Okay, so if you're a manager listening, I would love for you to make time either at your next team call or meeting or organise one specially to sit down with people and ask them what helps or hinders them from making the most of their time at work in the fullest sense, not just getting through my to-do list, but actually having a really enriching experience of work as well. Mm. And just ask them and just listen to the point we were just talking about. Yeah. You know, maybe don't, don't comment or judge, just, just hear what comes back. And you might be amazed at how that opens up. And I think that is a great first step to starting to build your time intelligence. It's just starting to hear kind of how your time culture is helping or hindering people and how those responses are different across different members of your team. Excellent. It's a great one. I'm taking that away. Back, <laughs> back into the day job. <laughs> Excellent. This has been such a great conversation. And like we say, the book is fascinating. So thank you for spending the time with us today. Thank, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So, an episode with Helen on time. What do you think? Mm, I love there were some really key phrases for me that came out. Uh, things like time blindness. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, around the fact that um, there's a, it's all about urgency. Mm. Um, which is very true because we hear, you know, the climate emergency and you know everything we pick up, there's yeah. an, an emergency. So, that it's transferred into time is interesting. Yeah, I think there's a, a follow-on discussion around that and I think maybe that word of urgency and how that translates with an inclusion lens, to be honest, because, and how maybe exclusive that is, but that's for a different topic, I think. Indeed. Um, <laughs> I really, I I feel, I, I guess, a little bit sad about this kind of concept that to fit in, get in, get on, you still have to work like this as a majority kind of viewpoint. Yes. That yeah. makes me a bit sad. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree to to sort of change the um, the status quo that we need to to remain the same yeah. is quite a difficult concept. Yeah, I um I feel like again there's there's more to come around this and and how that kind of fits in the kind of future of work. But you know, this fifteen percent gender intensity gap as well that Helen referred to for um for for women over mm-hmm. men and. Yeah, and you know, mm. minorities have to do more to access more. And you know, at what point are we going to see that kind of break point? Uh, I don't know, but it surely we can't continue to always do what we've always done in terms of the working world and expect more output and more produ- productivity. I thought, you know, I thought the likes of Google's and Amazon's of this world had been kind of forward thinking in their approach to to time and and ways of working, but. I don't know, maybe we're not seeing the shift. And we heard um, some really good practical Mm. um, examples and some tools around the checklist. So we'll put all of those resources into the show notes. Um, So do take a look there. The top tip around the manager, uh, around, you know, um, just take some time out with your team was interesting. Great concept. And I think just those checklists alone, which you can download from her website brilliant 
like actually really good just kind of check in and I think if you're forming a new team you know we know from experience that one of the best ways to be able to build a great team is that kind of communication and a time is a big part of that isn't it how do you spend your time how do you like to use your time etc etc yeah you can find us on twitter our handles are in the show notes below and if you've liked what you've heard please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically thanks for listening